Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Happy whatever day it is to you guys. We're back on our norm. This is Clubhouse Talk, and we're back on our normally scheduled Tuesday Tuesday night recordings here. Joe, how are you uh, doing today? Tough day with the news that came out, which we're going to unpack here in a little bit. But in other news, we forgot about something this week, didn't we, Kylie? We haven't forgotten about it. It just hasn't occurred yet. My um, solemn promise to our listeners is by Thursday, you will be in that ice bath come hell or high water. That is completely fine. For those of you who don't know, I was snowed in all of last week, so it was a little difficult to get out to the stores. It would have been perfect. You could have just done a slip and slide out in the snow, and I would have said that's fine. <laughs> now, that would have been something to see. <laughs> um, no, so I'll go out to the store this week. I'll, uh, I'll buy... I'll buy a ice ba- a big old ice bag from the gas station, and uh, I'll bring it back and fill up my tub for you, Joe. Not for okay. me. Well, it's, you're right. It's for the listeners. This so, is for you, not only make, for. I'll make sure to include the floaties and the flippers too. I got to and go the pick, snorkel and the snorkel. I got to go pick those. Go pick those things up as well. So <laughs> now we'll we'll get that posted, you guys. You heard it by uh, by Thursday. It will be posted for your uh, enjoyment and entertainment on all of our social medias. It will. But uh, to get into the news, we're going to start on a different foot this week. Usually we start with baseball or football this week. We're going to start with golf. Um, Been a busy day. Busy day. Um, Great tournament over the weekend at the Genesis, which was uh, the tournament that Tiger hosted. I was a hair away from pulling off the pick of my life with Tony Finau in the playoff. Um, he wasn't able to get it done. Max Homa came away with the win. Another, he's not really young. I mean, he's 30, but I guess a newer name on tour. Um, I couldn't he believe he was 30. Honestly, I, I looked it up on Sunday. I was watching the, watching the golf tournament with a friend and looked it up. And I was like, I can't, I thought he was like mid twenties. Yeah. He was a kind of a journeyman for a while. Cause he had the, the yips really badly for a stage in his career where he completely lost his golf game. and was like struggling to break 80. Yeah. And the man has two tour wins under his belt at um, quail hollow was his first win. And then at Riviera in the Genesis. Two. So two, two pretty big name wins for, I guess your everyday tour events, two brutally difficult courses. Yeah. He was saying in his post round conference that he thinks that his game fits tougher courses better than just kind of the birdie fest events. I mean, out there, there are golfers who are meant for that. I mean, I, everyone knows if you are, you know, that type of golfer, if you're one that goes out and can really, can really light up a course and just get red hot and shoot, you know, 64, 64. And some guys are, are more built for that grinded out type of, you know, tough tournaments where the winning number tends to be around, you know, 10 under par for four days, which is fairly low for a PGA tour event um, mm-hmm. or a major. So, I mean, those, there are just people that are more, more skilled for those kind of mentally taxing and grinding rounds. And it looks like that's kind of where Max's game is, is he's, he's the type that doesn't make the big number. He may not make a lot of birdies, but he, he sure does grind out a lot of pars. And when you do that on tough courses, when everyone else around you is faltering, you can make up some ground really quick. Yeah. He didn't have a single bogey um, going because they had to stop the, the Saturday round early because they had some weather issues 
weather issues. It was blowing 45 out there. Yeah. So they, they couldn't get the whole round in on Saturday. So from the part time he restarted, so he played about, I don't know the exact number, but I'd say it was like 22 ish holes. He didn't make a single bogey the last 22 holes. Um, Tony put together a great round on Sunday, shot 64. Um, usually he's had the Sunday blues and Max just got the better of him in the playoff. Kind of, it's crazy. You look back on, I mean, we were talking about how Tony going all, right back to last episode. We were saying how Tony like couldn't get it done on Sunday. Doesn't really um, do it. He doesn't play his best on Sunday. And then this was like the opposite where he really was pretty flat to begin the tournament and then um, played decent on Saturday. And then on Sunday, he just absolutely lit it up. I think he shot the low round of the day of 64 and just fi- and finds his way coming from all the way back. I guess he would have started seven backs uh, of Sam Burns going into the round, who, by the way, I mean, he Sam was the talk of the tournament. Of, obviously, he led it for the first 54 holes consecutively, um, playing fantastic golf and then just got a little wayward coming down the stretch and, and couldn't get it done. But Yeah, he, he really limped home that whole back nine it all started when he hit that tee shot that should have been out of bounds and somehow <laughs> stayed in play I, and then, i have no clue how that ball stayed out of standing, I mean, what a kick. stayed inbounds yeah that thing was 20 feet above the ob fence and uh stayed inbounds still made a bogey and then from there on it it just wasn't wasn't there he he had a chance to birdie the 18th to get into the playoff and just didn't happen no, he, he put himself in a really tough position off the uh, after his tee shot, just a really bad angle to be able to attack it, and um, kind of had to bail out right at the pin, and then wasn't able to chip in. But I, I mean, I don't think he didn't implode. It was just he was leaking oil down the stretch, and enough people were playing good on Sunday. When actually, I, I'd say Sunday was probably the easiest conditions they played in all week because with how bad the winds got on Saturday. Um, and, and they continued into Sunday morning on the restart that they couldn't go out and cut and roll the greens. So the greens got a little bit, a little bit softer, a little bit slower on Sunday afternoon when, when everyone was going at it. So I think it played about to its easiest, not saying it was an easy course, but uh, there were, there were birdies to be had and he really wasn't making any birdies. He was just kind of holding on with pars and bogeys and everyone else was catching ground on him. Yeah. He, he actually got off to a really good start on the front nine, but, when it, I mean, when it matters, when you got to close out the tournament, he was, like you said, leaking oil. I, and it, I mean, if he would have shot even, he won the tournament on the yeah. back nine, which, granted, is a lot easier said than done. <laughs> but but uh, I think it'll be a good learning experience. He's still super young, and he's a guy whose name has been in the golf world for a long time, and he'll have no shortage of opportunities throughout his career with the talent he has. And it'll be a great learning experience because – I mean, he had some pretty big names chasing him down the stretch, right behind him. Oh yeah, so. I mean, he played he played Sunday with Dustin with the number one player in the world, Dustin Johnson. Who I mean, granted, DJ didn't play that great, um, but but, but yeah. you're in a final pairing of a tournament with Dustin Johnson. Like that's not the most comfortable situation trying to win your first event. Not at all. I mean, what a place to try to do it. I mean, Tigers said it before a few years ago, back in 2018, they were playing, I think it was the the Honda classic and they got paired together on Sunday and Tiger had no, who no clue who the guy was. I think 
Sam may have been an amateur or it was a sponsor's exemption early into his professional career, but they were playing together and, and Sam just kind of looked at Tiger on, on Sunday and was like, man, how awesome is this? Just seeing all the crowds and stuff. And Tiger's like, yeah, it's awesome for you. I'm out here trying to win a golf tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, but at the end of the day, he kind of told him how, how composed he was, how well he handled the moment, basically just gave him a really big vote of confidence there back in 2018, how good of a golfer he was. I mean, Sam's extremely decorated. He won a national championship at LSU. Um, He's had a lot of really good influences in his life with David Toms and uh, really connected with him and a lot of the L- other good LSU golfers. So he's go- he's going to be successful and he's been successful already on tour, but this was just a hard one for him to pull out for his, for his first victory. Yeah. And the first one's always the one that takes a lot of the young guys, the young upper covers with like the big names, a little bit of time to get to. Wire to wire has to wear on you too. I mean, every every yeah. day w- going to bed with the with the lead. I mean, I don't think it gets comfortable. In fact, it probably gets worse each day. I would agree hundred percent. And then, you know, he had a long Sunday. It wasn't like he he knew exactly what he was getting into. He had to go out there, finish the Saturday round, and go out on Sunday. Yeah. Or go out for the the final round, not go out on Sunday. But I mean, he'll he'll be back in that situation. He's tremendously talented. Um but I do want to talk about Tony Finau. If you're Tony Finau, what are you what are you thinking after this tournament? He just goes out there, fires a 64, and loses in a playoff. Like, what does he need to do to get it done? Uh, for starters, don't be like seven back going into the lead on Sunday. <laughs> I I mean I'm like I hate to say it, but it's kind of I mean if he's in a better position where he's three or four back and he shoots that round, we're not talking we're not having this conversation. We're talking about his first. Uh, victory in the States. I mean, he's won the Puerto Rico open and, but that's a, you know, that's a second field event mixed mm-hmm. with the W with the world golf championship, like it is this week. Um, so it was a, it was a light field. So a lot, I mean, not discounting it at all as a PGA tour victory. It still counts. But that's, but, that's fair to say that the field's not as difficult as it's, it's certainly not the Genesis, but just your other PGA tour. Event. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not even as prestigious as like a 3M or, you know, Detroit open yeah. like those, even some of the lower events. So um, he's got to find a, he's got to put himself in a better position on Sunday to truly be able to pull it out. And then also he's got to take advantage of when he's got an opportunity to genuinely win. Um, he made the putts down the stretch in the actual round, which is unlike him. He, tends to kind of fault. That's really his, his handicap on Sunday is his putting. And then he made the putt, the extremely clutch putt on 16. He made the putt on 17, um, gets up and down on 18, a beautiful up and down on 18 to, uh, hold his number gets into the playoff. Max gets in a really tough position on 10 hits an incredible chip shot, misses his birdie putt, but Finau's got a chance to I mean, he's sitting over his chip, I'm sure, looking at Max up against the tree. And he knows if he gets up and down, he's winning this. And so yeah. he hits a decent chip. It's not; a, It wasn't a bad chip. It wasn't a great chip. He hit it about eight feet by on a firm, tough – I mean, they're firm and slick green, so it's not like it was that terrible of a shot, but it wasn't, wasn't perfect. It wasn't three feet. And then he had an eight-foot slider that he just flat out didn't hit it hard enough. Um mm-hmm he kind of let it, let it come short and wipe across the front of the hole. So he had his opportunity to make the putt and then 
he lost it on 14 when he he goes for the pin and he pulls in the bunker and from there is pretty much over poor bunker shot and obviously doesn't make the putt for par so it, it was his own demise once he got into the playoff that looked like more or less the fee now of old um on sundays when he was actually yeah. in the playoff you almost I, you almost get the sense that he when he knows he has a good chance to win he starts playing defense a little bit um like to your point missing that putt to win short and letting it get on the low side of the hole. It's kind of a defensive stroke. Usually you're, I mean, obviously you're not leaving putt short when you're confident in the line, confident what you're doing just doesn't happen. Yeah. Anything you'll miss it three feet past. Um, So it, it was interesting that he wasn't, he was in contention on Sunday, but you wouldn't say that he was, you know, a good chance to win the tournament goes out there, shoots 64, puts himself in contention. And then in the playoff, doesn't get it done again. So it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's going to make it feel that much better when he inevitably does scratch one across because I, he, he definitely will. I will say, I think he, I think he proved a lot to a lot of people in the round that he shot in general on Sunday. Um, there were a lot of doubters. Uh, I don't want to say haters. I think doubters is probably a better term for it, but just people who didn't have faith in Tony when it came to putting it, uh, putting it up in the clutch when it mattered. And so I, he's too talented that he's not going to win. I saw a stat on sports center the other night that was in the last five years. He is the fourth most top tens out of any PGA tour players up there with Rory. He's there with DJ. He's there with Rom. He's there with JT. And all of those guys have a minimum of five wins and Tony has zero. Yeah. I mean, it's the stats are unreal. I mean, it's like 21 top five finishes now or something (laughs) since his last win. It's like this guy is without a doubt in my mind, one of the best golfers in the world in that kind of elite category. And he's never won, you know, a prime PGA tour event, which is just, it's crazy, but it's, I mean, it's not easy to win on tour, but he has put himself in the situation so many freaking times. It's like, it's almost like you got to scratch one across. Cause he's, he's a big time fan favorite too. You know, like he's everybody, everybody likes Tony. Fino. He's a legitimate top 10 golfer in the world. Everyone knows who he is. His talent is un like you, you can't deny his talent. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of an enigma that he just hasn't, one one it, it, you look at it and you're just like how how have you yeah. not won a big tournament i mean he's he's been there in majors he's been there in big events and you just cannot seem to scratch him across and like i i felt for the guy really this sunday because he did everything in his power and it was just <laughs> like it came off when he needed it the most i guess but i mean max earned it though in terms of oh 100 yeah i mean the round that he put together on sunday and then like the chip shot that he hit on 10 was so freaking good. I, I mean, I don't know. Shot. The camera angle when they when he hit the tee shot, the camera angle they showed, it looked like he was completely bowed. I mean, it looked like he was stymied up against a tree. He was going to be chipping sideways left-handed over to where Tony's ball was and was going to have to get up and down for par. And then he got up there and he clearly had a shot to swing. But he hits this beautiful snap hook pitch shot and then plays the contours to hit it out to 15 feet. And then he frankly gave it a really good effort for birdie. I mean, it was, it was unreal. The shot that he hit. And then on 
14, once Tony put in the bunker, he went at this tucked left-hand flag, somehow keeps it between the bunker and the pin to give himself an uphill putt. I mean, just absolute laser right at it and just about makes a birdie putt, taps in for par and wins. So he he absolutely earned it after almost giving it away in regulation, having a three-footer to win on 18 and getting in, uh, getting kind of a pretty harsh L turn out of the holes. He played it no break and it broke about a half a cup on him. But, yeah. but that was, that was really impressive to, you know, to regain his focus there coming off that short miss and then going into a playoff to be able to flip the switch and kind of keep it all going shows a lot of his mental fortitude. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was also just a cool story. Uh, Max is from LA and the Genesis is in that area. And uh, he grew up going to that event. He said he'd been there, you know, over a dozen times trying to get Tiger to shake his hand or give him a high five. And Tiger was the one that ended up handing him the trophy on Sunday. So he was getting a little emotional in the press conference. But um, um, it just goes have, to show you what it means. Yeah. I mean, what it means to those guys. You, you always think of the majors, but there's little stories like that that every guy on the tour has. Everybody has that one spot that they, fell in love with the game and then to go out there and win is just, you can't imagine what that must feel like. Um, there are there a lot of really good stories this week. I mean, Tyler McCumber was a super cool story as well. I didn't know much about him until this week. And um, he went out and just, he smashed his finger finger on, I think Tuesday of uh, the tournament and smashed into the window at his hotel room. He had to have emergency surgery to remove his fingernail um, and he played with a giant bandage wrapped over his glove, putted with his glove on all week. And until midway through Saturday was honestly playing absolutely fantastic. And then the, his wheels, his wheels came off in the last 27 holes or so, but now he's an interesting cat. I mean, he'll go on his off weeks and just put his clubs up and take a surfboard and we'll just surf up the coast and just find places to stay and just not touch the golf club. He's just one of those type of people, which I think is really interesting that there even are those type of people on tour. I mean, people probably people know those type of adventurous, you know, willing to just put everything around uh, out and just go take a trip. But to think that there's a PGA tour player like that is, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a bunch of cool stories out there, but uh, a not so cool story that is, come to light today was tiger getting into a car crash. Um, as we talked about before, he had a back surgery about a month ago uh, with another herniated disc, the microdiscectomy operation that he's had now for the, was it the fourth or fifth time. Um, yeah. I think it was the fifth, but um, today he was involved in a, a solo car accident, which I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, you've heard on the news where he basically rolled off the side of the road, car overturned, and he had to be uh, taken out of the car by firefighters. Um, they said they used the jaws of life apparatus, which ended up not being the case. They did have to cut him out of it, though. And he is undergoing surgery on his leg. Um, as we, we, don't as know we the, speak. Yeah, we don't know the extent of the injury, but he was removed from the car on a stretcher was conscious, but um, just another dark day to come along with the seems like endless string of tiger woods 
scandals slash injuries. I mean, not like, just Tiger. It's man. just like it feels like it's all celebrities for the last year, year and a half now. Um, you know, still going back to pretty much Kobe last year. But I mean, that obviously Tiger. They've come out to say that it's not life threatening injuries, um, which is extremely good news. Now, career ending and career threatening, absolutely. Um, career threatening, maybe career ending. We it's too early to speculate on that, but it, it felt like for a moment, though, when the news broke, you it was immediate news broke. Tiger has this car accident, and everyone for the first, I'd say, 10 or 15 minutes is like, okay, how bad is it? And then pictures started to come from the helicopter that was over the scene, and the whole front of the car is just absolutely mauled. And I think everyone probably had the same reaction that I did, which was, you know, the worst. Everyone starts thinking the worst. And at that point, to me, it started feeling like another one of those large celebrity moments of, like, is he going to pass away? And fortunately, like we've said, it's come out that he is, it's not life-threatening. There were injuries to both of his legs. They haven't said how serious or not. Um, he was conscious on scene, like Joe said. And then the, the good news is they aren't speculating that he was under the influence of anything. He was actually scheduled to be at a, like a photo shoot today at a golf course with a mm-hmm. bunch of other celebrities. So I'm, it seems logical that he was on his way to that when he was driving. And so you wouldn't expect it. This was at seven 15 in the morning. So you wouldn't really expect kind of pain meds or any of his, I guess, former demons to, to be at, at, at large here to, to cause the accident. So, I mean, there's at least a couple positives there, but obviously, you know, the, the next thought after thankfully he's going to be alive is just, you know, making sure that he can get back to living a normal life with his kids, yeah. uh, with his family before you even start going into, will he play golf again? Yeah. Cause the golf, when something like this happens, is completely secondary to what could be, you know, completely worse. Cause I mean, we've, we touched on his legacy when we talked about his lack back surgery and he's accomplished more than you know anybody in my opinion in the game. I mean, you can talk about the majors and whatnot, but, I think we both agree that he's the best player to ever play. And I think that's largely the consensus. Um, But his problem with these back surgeries has been being able to live a comfortable, normal life. And for the, until the last, I guess, two and a half, three years, he wasn't doing that from like 2015 to 2018. So to see, you know, another setback is just gut wrenching. Yeah. I mean, you just hope that, his legs recover and also that what damage had already been done and repaired to his back isn't, you know, it, it doesn't fall back on progress. It doesn't, you don't have to go back and kind of try repair and and redo everything all over again. Yeah. So we'll, let's hope that's not the case. I mean, that's all the, the info we really have. Everything else is kind of speculation at this point. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a good situation, but, um, Every major news network is following it along. So I'm sure if you guys want updates, um, ESPN, Golf Channel, uh, even your major news networks today, we're, we're showing the helicopter coverage of flying over it, of you know, your CNNs, ABCs, all that. So just, just keep on a lookout. And I'm sure with the publicity that Tiger gets, that all of this will be 
covered in totality very quickly in real time. So just keep on a lookout for that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, with that sad topic, we can at least pivot to pivot to a new sport and a little bit more current and active news, I guess. And we can start getting into baseball as spring training has officially begun. We've had a few days of reporting. Um, I want to begin with by saying a congratulations to uh, Freddie Freeman and his wife, Chelsea, on their their twins that they had over the weekend. So congratulations to the Freeman family. Two more Braves fans. Two more Braves fans. <laughs> two more uh, future Braves right there, along with uh, along with Charlie. That would be something. <laughs> no, but <laughs> um, so yeah, pitchers and catchers reported last week. Uh, there have been some really really promising signs, especially out of uh, what the Braves have seen from Charlie Morton uh, so far this week. He's he's come in and his velocity's been great, movement's been great. Um, he seems to be doing really well with his. Uh, with the other pitchers there, Mike Soroka is progressing along fantastic with his recovery, and he thinks he might be able to start running here soon. I, I still am skeptical if he's going to make the opening day roster, but he's coming along really fast for, for a torn Achilles. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's up and, up and throwing bullpens and stuff like that. Man, the, if there's one thing that the, the DH will hurt, it's Mike Soroka. Oh, I know. Making him have to get out, run the base pass, hit. I don't want to see him swing a bat. I do not want to see him swing a bat. <laughs> what do you want him to do? Just walk up there? I want and him take- stand there, taken out. I do not care. I would rather him get out every time at bat than any kind of risk of injury. Just stand all the way at the back of the box, just toes barely in the box, and don't swing, don't move. Don't if even he, look at it. If he throws <laughs> – if he throws you four balls, then great. You get to walk. Yeah. I, I do not want to no, see that. But That really I mean, does hurt. Not just him, but I mean, there's a lot of other teams that are, that are going to be in the same situation. But it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But, I mean, they won't, he won't be, in a, be playing unless they don't think there's any chance of re-injury. Yeah, or any re- reasonable chance of re-injury. They are going to take every precaution possible with him. They're not yeah. pushing him back. I Soroka's a hockey player, born and raised in Canada. That guy's tough as nails. He probably will want to come back well before doctors will allow him to come back. Yeah, one, 100%. But, um, yeah, it was good to see him up and throwing again. I mean, that was one of the, the dark times of last season. Probably the darkest, in my opinion. Yeah, that was uh, a that was a scary moment and a bad moment for the season. Obviously, losing him, but is you just hope that he comes back. He looks as good. He's just as effective as before. Because tell you what, having him and Freed and Anderson just makes you dream of. It makes you dream of the old big three of you know Smoltzy, Glavin, and Maddox out there. Yeah, I mean, and they're so. I'm so excited for those three together. I mean it everything that I've seen looks like they're going to be good for a long time. So just keep the band together. Yeah. <laughs> um, other brand news. They signed yesterday. I guess the reports came out yesterday. It was officially announced this morning by the team that the Braves have signed uh, Jake lamb to a uh, one year non-guaranteed contract. So for those who don't know, that means 
uh, that he's going to show up to spring training camp. Uh, if he impresses the team then, and he makes the MLB roster, then he'll get paid the league minimum of $1 million. If he does not, then the Braves only pay a small portion of that salary. I don't know the exact, exact figure, but that's uh, another left-handed bench piece. He's got a lot of pop and power. He hit like 50-something home runs over between like uh, two seasons a couple years ago out in Arizona, and then he's really been injury-prone the last two and a half years and really struggled mm-hmm. to find himself on the field. So you hope that he has fully recovered from those injuries and then more importantly that he can start producing for the Braves in a, in a good bench role. He's a corner infield spot, so someone to help back up Freddie, uh, back up Riley. Obviously, you've got uh, Johan Camargo is probably going to make the team. You still got uh, Pablo Sandoval out there. So the Braves are going to have the infield depth. There's no doubt about that off the bat. Plenty of it. And we also added Philip Irwin off the Cubs waivers to get, get a little more depth in the outfield as well. Um, So I was actually scrolling through Braves Twitter today and I found kind of an interesting little tidbit. It was like the Braves got basically a cheaper platoon option with Jake Lamb and Philip Irwin than with uh, Jock Peterson and, and Adam Duvall. So um, it looks like we're on a tight budget, which is something else that I've uncovered. So to I say guess the that, least. that was uh, to say the least. Good. If you're, re- if your uh, reporting skills are accurate over here, Joe, I saw something from a, um, a Braves blogger that I follow relatively closely that when we were attempting to sign Rosenthal, that we had $5 million to work with. So if that's accurate, I think we can assume that the Braves are probably pretty done for this offseason. Which, if, if that's accurate, they have to. I would assume they have to be done for this offseason. Yeah. I mean, it, when you told me that yesterday, I'm shocked that they're even signing another person on a minor league contract for a league minimum of one mil. But I hope that that was more negotiation talk than anything else. But honestly, nothing would surprise me if that was a hard cap. And if that is the case, then there's going to be no Shane green joining the, joining the pen, which we've addressed is how much do we, we need him, but we will not have the money for that. And then you just hope that they increase their budget by the time the trade deadline comes around, because if we only have 4 million to play with at the trade deadline, you're not going to be trading for anybody worth anything. I mean, there's going to be no, there's going to be no actual impact position trades that you're going to be able to make with that type of budget. So my, my question is this, and this is kind of a, a skeptical thing that I've been thinking of is, and just other stuff that I've seen around there is possibly Liberty media about halfway through the off season said like, Hey, like this, we're, we're revamping the budget. Like this is how much you have to work with because in my I back it up with this. Like we go out there early in the off season. We saw Drew Smiley, who's a good rotation piece, but he's not great. He's not a, an altering uh, piece. Definitely yeah. what we needed. And I'm glad we have him, but to an $11 million deal. If we were tight on money, I don't see that happening. And then just how quiet we've been adding other pieces the last month to two months. 
it almost makes me feel like that might have been the case. I mean, you can't rule it out for anyone out there that's worked in a corporate environment. This isn't the most um, absurd thing in the world to think of, of a company changing their budget midway through. It, typically, you're doing it maybe midway through a year, but in this case, it's going to be midway through an offseason. Obviously, with them being a public company, maybe they saw their Q4 earnings report, realized that they lost more money than they thought, and that's when they cut the budget. I mean, yeah. it's completely conceivable. And you think about that going into December and then that's why they're completely dry for the whole month of January. And it, the timeline can make sense, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, we, obviously we do not know any of this for sure. We haven't been told this. We haven't read this from any Braves reporting. So this is, this is all speculation on our part that this is what the Braves budget is and also reasons for why it may have been cut. Yeah. And just, you know, in my day-to-day life, I work in the, the financial world. So just knowing how these things work, it, it definitely had my ears perk up as a, certainly a possibility with, I'd say, a, a, a good degree of likelihood, but not certainty. But you can't blame them for doing that. It's been a, a tough year for all ownership. Well, I mean, the Braves, the world, so. I think the Braves are the only team that's actually owned by a public company. So you saw the, you saw the earning report back in quarter two when they were down, I believe, 200% from what the previous years was. I mean, they took a massive hit. But at the same time, this is the exact type of stuff that really, really ticks off fans that you wouldn't get, I think, with a solo owner or with an individual, you know, a person ownership group. Yeah. Yeah. You get this with a company and I don't know if you get this with an ownership group where it's a group of people instead of a company, because I feel like Liberty media and I've always felt this way has always treated the Braves like a asset, like a business in terms of if it's, they're trying to make it successful and profitable, but winning is not their number one priority. Yeah. I mean, their, their priority and like any good business is to, control their bottom line. And so if they can put a product on the field that is, you know, competitive and will get fans to come to the games, then that's, you know, good enough for them, I guess. And they're fortunate that the Braves fan base is probably one of the best in the MLB, I'd argue, but, um, and they've put a competitive product on the field. It's just, we haven't gotten to dive into like, okay, we're, we're going to push it over the edge this year. I think that's what all the Braves fans are waiting for now is that you've a couple years ago, you break through a year early and make it to the playoffs. Then you make it to the playoffs and you get, you get knocked down in the first round to a lesser team. They make some good moves. Um, and you come back and you have a stronger team. You get a weird year and a COVID year. The Braves play great, make a deep playoff run with frankly, a very average pitching staff, but their offense was so good that they make a deep run of the playoffs. They're one game out of the world series. And now Braves fans are sitting there and we're like, Hey, all right, let's, we, we have the horses. We're ready. We just need that one piece to put us over the top. Where's our, where's our signing of Trevor Bauer. I mean, maybe that's a little bit too extreme to think of, but just that type of impact where, where's our big name trade. Where's our big name signing. And they just refuse time and time again to put up the money to do it. I, it's not Anthopolis. He wants to make the moves. I can guarantee it. It comes down to what his budget is to work with. 
Yeah. And with the Braves, it's been so glaring, like where our weaknesses are. It's not like we're, you know, I don't, I don't even know to throw a name out, but like we, we've had pitching issues pretty much the last three years, even probably even longer than that, which is what, what's been really holding us back from the talent we have. And like, we, I guess from like 2015 on, we've been in that rebuilding stage where we're like competitive, but we're still rebuilding. But now it's like, all right, we can win now. Like, why aren't we doing it? Exactly. You only have a window. I mean, everyone talks about these championship windows and I think people trying, they almost get a little overzealous on these windows and they think that they're going to last longer than they are. It takes one injury and your window can close quick. Uh, I mean, so quick. Yeah. I mean, I kind of equate the Braves window with how long Freddie Freeman has. Because yeah. I think when Freddie Freeman starts to decline his career, I think the Braves, if they can't find another piece, that's going to be, I mean, that he's been their core piece. I mean, we have great young guys around him with Dansby, Acuna, um, Ozzy, even, you know, Austin Riley, if he comes about Christian Poche, I mean, plenty of young guys, but he's that, I mean, he is the MVP, but he's the MVP caliber player that has led the organization for a long time. So I, I look at our serious competitive window kind of aligning right now with how long Freddie Freeman has of being the t- one of the top players in baseball. Which, I mean, I think it's fair to say he's got three to five years of still being extremely productive, but mm-hmm. obviously it can take one injury and that lifespan can get shortened real quick. So, yeah. I mean, you could just look at the Braves lineup. I mean, look, God forbid, you know, Freddie goes down, Acuna goes down. I mean, I'd even say Dansby with how good of a defender he is. You lose one of those guys, it, I mean, it kind of scratches you there. Pretty, Everything pretty changes. Deep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, disappointed. I mean, we had a good offseason, but I think it, it was kind of overshadowed just by how many moves other teams in the NL made. Agreed. You, you look at what the Padres did. You look at what the Mets did. You look at what, especially what the Dodgers did. I mean, the Dodgers didn't even do all that much, but they bring back, you know, you bring back Turner and you bring back, and then you go out and you sign Bauer, and that's probably the best offseason any team had. Yep. And so, just in just those moves, but it, so yeah, it's just frustrating. You make you make moves, but you almost feel like you lose ground on people. So. Yeah, and especially kind of going into the offseason, a lot of the rumors that were getting tossed around the Braves being the favorite to get Bauer and it just, I guess that kind of got cut pretty early when we signed Smiley. Certainly when we signed Morton, we knew that was completely off the table, but I mean, our rotation I think is going to be infinitely better this year with hopefully a healthy Soroka back, the addition of Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson being there full time. And then obviously Max Freed's, absolute stud yeah and then you so. still got the the depth of you've got Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson ready to go which I mean this year if there's any year you need legitimately seven or eight starters it's probably this year because you've got all these pitchers that are coming off of a shortened season and you're going to try and revamp them up so quickly to go right back to throwing 200 innings it's going to be really hard for those pitchers you're not going to be able to work them from from pitching 60 innings to pitching 200 innings in a few months. It's going to be, so you're going to have to give them more rest days. You're going to have to have more 
uh, more people come up and make spot starts for you, which with the Braves fortunate of having not just Gwinnett right down the road, but two guys legitimately ready. You, I think you'll you'll see Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson each make a handful, you know, five probably five ish starts, maybe ten if someone gets injured uh, for us this season. And that that's the big thing too is like last season if we had when we had Soroka go down, um, Fulton Witz wasn't there either with his game. So like we were pretty much under the gun from the start, but this year we have some flexibility that if somebody has to or does go down to injury or doesn't have their stuff, we got some options to fill in, which is certainly nice. Um, The bullpen is going to be probably a little up in the air, but I mean, there's, there's pieces there that if they improve upon what they've been doing, it, it'll still be viable. I mean, Tukey had a really bad year last year. I'd, I'd hope that he would recover and be a viable piece. I think moving him – I, you made a really good point, I think, last podcast where we need to settle Newcomb and Tukey into, like, an actual role instead of bouncing them from starter to reliever back and forth. Like, if we establish them this season, like, hey, you guys are bullpen guys this year, I think it's going to help them a lot. Oh, I think it would – I think it would do wonders for him. I it's, this is too hard for these guys to go pitch in, pitch in the training site or pitch in Gwinnett and be a starter there. And they're trying to compete and then they get brought up and they have to go pitch in the bullpen. It's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different routine. Um, just don't stretch them out, keep them in the bullpen and let them, when they go out there, throw you one inning of their best stuff, which frankly that's been, that's been what Tukey's been good at is early on in the first inning or two, he actually has looked great. And then it'll be the third or fourth inning that he, he starts kind of getting in his own head. He doesn't, he doesn't throw what he was throwing, what was working well, and it gets away from himself. Uh, so that in Newcomb has clearly thrived in, in the bullpen role. We saw that two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic. So if they can get back to that, I think it'll be really good for him. The bullpen this season to me feels a lot like what the rotation felt like last season. So you looked at the rotation and you were like, okay, you've got Soroka and Freed um, and then Fulton Nevich. And, and you're like, you've got these young guys that they have potential, but are they going to develop and give you what you want? And last year, the Braves hit on it. It worked for them. The question is, will it work twice? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, it's just the only piece is just not having that closer. That's that is the yeah. I mean, it's gonna. I'm, I'm interested like, to see. I think it's going to be Minter, but I think it's Will Smith personally. But we'll. I'd see be fine what, with that as well. But. We'll we'll see where what they uh, what Snicker decides to play with it. And Snicker's got to figure out the lineup again. Obviously, with no DH, figure out if he wants to move Freddie back to the three hole, um, leave him in the two hole like he was last year. I imagine he'll go back to the three is what I would expect, but we'll see how everything plays out. It's going to be, it's going to be weird going back to normal in a sense. After the rule changes, you kind of got used to it to go, to go back for one year still just feels weird to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of a baseball purist, so I'm not adamantly for the DH other than the fact that it helps the Braves because we have a senior, but, um, I mean, I, I do agree, though. If you're going to change it, just rip the Band-Aid off. Like, why are we messing with it? But I guess I understand why they did it last year with the short season, but 
Like, just be done with it. You know it works now. The fans like it. Everyone liked it. Players liked it. Yeah. Fans liked it. I mean, well, it'll come next year. So I guess there's no there's no need to gripe on it for too much. I'm just kind of yeah. I'm I'm gonna be a feel like an old person just gripe and moan about this <laughs> probably all year. So well, but it'll be interesting. I, I, the, as long as the off season has dragged on, I felt more and more at peace with it. It's just, we're going to be in such a competitive division this season. And even on a larger scope, the NL is just going to be stacked. So it'll be a, it'll be a fist fight for all 162 games. There's no doubt every, yeah, I know people kind of say like baseball gets boring because there's so many games, not every game matters. Every game is going to matter when it comes down to it. I guarantee you when we get to September, there's going to be, three teams in the NL East that are going to be separated by three games. Uh, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. gonna, it's going to come down to it. You won't know who's going to win. It's, it's going to be a long, long dog fight, which is, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be stressful. You got to win the games against the bad teams. And then you're going to have to pull off some, some good wins too. Yep. It'll be fun though. Like you said, it'll be good. I mean, any team in the NL East, I would, I really wouldn't be surprised if any team won the division. Be surprised. I'd be surprised if the Marlins won. I think they'll compete. I would be surprised if they won, but I wouldn't be shocked. That's fair. You wouldn't be. Fl- yeah, it wouldn't. Just I think that's a better. Away. I think that's a better way of saying it. So that makes sense. Um, I mean, that's about all that's going on with baseball. Oh, Albert Pujols. Um, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Joe, but that Albert looks like he's going to be retiring after the year. Yes, I did see that. The machine. That's a, another one of those generational talents. I, I mean, in a weird way, I think people almost don't give him enough credit for how good he's been over the last, what, decade, decade plus, 15 years, oh, yeah. however long he's been. 15 at least. He's been around since the early 2000s. Yeah, so he's been, well, like you said, his nickname, he, he was a machine in St. Louis. And yeah. obviously he, he hasn't been as great since he got to L.A. He had a couple good first seasons and then – as he's gotten older, his, his health has really, really dropped off uh, significantly, and so is his production. But that guy is one of the best first basemen to ever play the game. Oh, yeah, he's on the short list for sure. I mean, almost 700 – I think he's at almost 700 home runs. Yeah, it's, it's close then, if he's not there. And then he's got over 3,000 hits. So it's like you know, there's not, not too many guys who can say that. No. Not at all. Um, so we'll, that'll be a nice swan song um, season for him, I think, to finish out. It, it, it's nice that he's going to get a full season out of it. Um, get to Hopefully there's fans in the stands and he can kind of get to enjoy the trips wherever he gets to go. It won't be the same as, quote-unquote, a normal season, but it's better than at the COVID year, I would say. I agree. So that's, that's about all I've got for baseball. What else you got to talk about tonight, Joe? Carson Wentz to the Colts. Can I just say, if I, if I really had the time, I would go back in right now and I would edit our conversation from about October. And I would take that little clip of me talking about that Jalen Hurts was going to take over for Carson Wentz. And you said, no way. And I'd throw it in this podcast right now. Congratulations. So, You're- <laughs> Everyone mark it down. The first time he's been right 
uh, on the podcast. But yes, you were right. I, I will admit it. I, I'm surprised, um, but I don't know. I just, I don't know on either side. I don't think the Eagles got great value for him. And I don't think. What did they get for him? They got a third, 2021 third round and a 2022 second round. Something like that, but nothing, not outstanding. Let's see what it, what it was. It was a third round. Um, a third round 2021 and a conditional 2022 second rounder that could turn into a first rounder. So, yeah. So here's my thing. I mean, he's going to be in a good situation in Indianapolis. They're, you know, a, a solid organization. They had a good team last year with Phillip rivers. It's just going to be a matter of if his kind of reputation now, dare I say, follows him to, Indy, but you know we'll see it's it's all hearsay until he actually puts the pads on but um i would say if, if philip rivers in his last year of his career can take the colts to the playoffs i would say that carson once definitely has the talent to do it i mean i'm not saying carson once is going to win them the playoffs but i think he could get them there if He's probably about the same talent level as an old Philip Rivers. Um, I would say he's a step above. Well, when he's healthy and playing the football that he's capable of. Yeah, when when he's playing great, he's better than Philip Rivers. But I'm saying yeah. I'm just comparing it to what we've seen recently on the field. It's about the same same product that you're getting. So if you're a Colts fan, you're thinking you're going to get at least the same levels of QB this coming season, and with the upside of getting a lot of hot, better QB than what you had, even. Yeah. I mean, the downside is they they take that pretty large contract, but they didn't really have a choice. I mean, you could go with Jacoby Brissett, who was the backup last year, but if you got Wentz on the table, you got to take it. But it's just the Eagles right now, man. They they lost their head coach, they lost their quarterback. You know, they still Hurt, took a massive cap hit. They still took a huge cap hit, and Jalen Hurts was decent. I wouldn't say he was phenomenal at all. Yeah, he had he had kind of two two one hit or a two hit wonder week and uh, two really good games and the rest of it really was average quarterback play. Yeah, so and I I just don't know that a, a third and a second possibly first really helps him that much. And I also saw that if the Colts are in a position, the, so the contingency for that pick is if the uh, if Wentz plays over seventy percent of snaps. So if they're in position where like they're going to make the playoffs, they could sit Wentz and not give, <laughs> give away another pick. So it's an interesting scenario for Philly, but I think just after everything that went on, they needed to unload one of them. And without a doubt. And I, it seemed like everyone in Philly was, was done with Wentz. Um, and so you're kind of, you're hitting the reset button. I, I, I do think it's going to help Wentz a lot, giving him a new organization, a new situation. Kind of gives him a clean slate. Yeah, and there—I mean, there's no question about it. Indy's just a better team right now than the Eagles. Um, Very he true. Hasn't, he hasn't really had receivers for the last two seasons, so 
You know, he's got Pittman and he's got what Pittman, uh, Pittman, Hilton. Hilton. If I mean, T.Y. Hilton, I think is a free agent. So, I mean, if they resign him, which who knows, but it'll be a better situation. I'm interested to see what Philly does in the draft because they could possibly draft a quarterback, but I don't know. I don't, I, I doubt if they would maybe yeah, in the later rounds. I see them going the route of letting Hertz be the starter, but signing some sort of a, some sort of a, of a backup, you know, a veteran backup mm-hmm. type deal. I mean, kind of like what the Broncos did with, with Joe Flacco, that, that kind of idea. Yeah. So someone that you can put in just in case and it, and it all works out. You can have someone fill in games for you that you're not totally screwed with. Right. In so. case of injury or if the, if a guy just absolutely just can't play. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, this is the, this is the off season of the quarterbacks. Once we get to the, not just the draft, but obviously the, the in league movement you've seen with Wentz being moved, you've seen uh, uh, Jerry Goff got moved. You're going to see more Watson might get moved. So who knows? And then there's still JJ Watt out on the board, obviously not a quarterback, but, Huge name. Kind of the golden ticket free agency signing. So, yeah, we'll we'll keep you guys updated as as signings keep happening uh, week after week here uh, as we record. So and then when we get close to the draft, we can we can get a little bit deeper into grading guys or talking about who we think should be drafted, where all that kind of good stuff. So. Yes, sir. Well, before we, we get out of here, since since we had a little bit of fun last week doing this, I'll uh, ask you to make your pick for the week this week at the WGC at Concession, which I think is going to be a really interesting tournament, by the way. The, the first week or the first time that this tournament is going to be held at Concession, um, there's never been a PGA tournament held there, but there was a national championship held there in 2015, um, the year Bryson won the individual and LSU won the team title. So there's been a few players that I know played that week. Obviously, Bryson, um, Xander played, Rom played. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else I saw when Scotty Scheffler played that week. Just a few guys that are in the field. But you have an opportunity to go back to Patrick Reed if you won. He actually is playing this week after your mix-up last week. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go with Reed. Um, who? let's see. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Patrick Cantlay. You won a very similar type event back in, I guess that was November. The Zozo, really similar type field, seventy players, all really top players. It, it's not a bad pick at all. Yeah, um, I mean he, he's played well the last couple of weeks. I don't see why not. I mean he's about as consistent as they come. So that's my pick. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Lord Tyrrell Hatton. Um, I, I know he, a lot of people actually don't even pay attention to him because he normally only plays over on the PGA tour or the European tour, but this guy has been on absolute fire lately and is a really solid golfer. He won at Arnold. He won at Bay Hill last year. So he's played well in the Florida swing. I just think that he's an absolute grinder and this will be a course that, it's a great short game, which you're going to need. These are really, really uh, kind of tabletop greens. All of them are elevated. 
a lot of large runoffs to, especially on the back sides of these greens, but um, also on the sides. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of people that are going to have to get up and down. It, it's a course that you get out of position. The fairways are wide, but if you put yourself in the wrong areas, you can really, it, it can really grind you and you you'll probably see some golfers struggle this week. I'm sure the winning score will be around 15 to 18 under par, but you, there will be golfers. They'll go out there and shoot mid to high 70 rounds without a doubt. This course is tough. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see it. I don't know about you, but. Oh yeah. WGCs are always awesome. So it's the best. Absolutely. It's the best of the best. No cuts, 70, 72 golfers, best in the world. Go at it for four days. Can't complain about that. Nope, not at all. Well, <laughs> other than that, that, that kind of wraps this all up. Um, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, please check out our social medias and you will see the clip of me taking my ice bath uh, as Joe, Joe uh, gleams in his glory over there. <laughs> Takes, takes it all in as I have oh, to yes. take my punishment ice bath. But we'll have to set up something here uh, if we ever do pick a winner on here for maybe maybe a winner has to has to buy or if loser has to buy a winner a bottle of their choice or a beverage of their choice. Might that would to. work. We could figure something out for March Madness as well, too. Absolutely. We'll make some, that that absolutely has to happen as we're getting really close now. You've got about two, two and a half weeks of um, basketball left, and then you start getting into conference tournaments, and then we'll go get into March Madness, which cannot wait. That stretch from March Madness running into the Masters really is about my favorite stretch of sports in, in the year. Doesn't get a whole lot better. No, no, it does not. So uh, with that, we just ask, uh, as always, like, rate review subscribe especially the the rating and reviews it really does help uh keep pushing this word out uh to other people we did really well a couple weeks ago uh on our podcast like to like to keep seeing those numbers keep going up for you guys um the the more you guys listen the more you guys share and rate the more that this uh it helps the algorithms helps share this to new uh new listeners and we can keep growing this thing to what we what we think it can be so we appreciate you all all of you uh loyal listeners though week after week you guys are uh why we do this so thank you yeah i appreciate it Sunday all right all up. <laughs> you guys uh all uh, go ahead and hit the tone and get us out of here have a great night